0: Sponsored by Walters Kluwer. Medical knowledge doubles every 73 days, causing cognitive overload and burnout among health professionals who are striving to treat patients effectively. Give your team's clinical answers directly at the point of care. Visit go.uptodate.com forward slash healthleaders underscore podcast. Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer sourced and solution focused insights for healthcare executives with new episodes airing every Tuesday. I'm Jay Asser, Strategy Editor for Health Leaders. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Boris Pash, President and CEO for Carmanos Cancer Institute. Dr. Pash stepped into the role in August to lead Carmanos, which treats cancer cases at 16 locations in Michigan. Dr. Pash, thank you so much for taking the time out to join me today. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. As mentioned, you were new to Carmanos and joined in August. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and the challenges you are facing right now in in leading Carmanos and some of your plans to to attack those challenges?
1: So I'm trained. uh, I received an MD and PhD degrees from uh, the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, Following my graduation, I moved to Harvard and I was for three years a postdoc at the Brigham and Women Hospital. Uh, Following that, I moved to New York and did my internship and residency in internal medicine at the New York Hospital Cornell Medical Center. And then I crossed the street and did my fellowship in uh, in hematology and oncology at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Uh, following that training, I stayed on for a couple of years uh, obtaining working in the lab of Dr. Joan Massage, a prominent researcher in the field of TGF beta, where I obtained my first uh, peer review funding. Following this, I moved to Northwestern and became the founding director of the cancer genetic program at northwestern uh, university in chicago i stayed there for eight years and after that i moved to alabama where i was promoted to become the division chief of uh, hematology oncology as well as the deputy director of the comprehensive cancer center and after a few years in alabama the former uh, chair of medicine in alabama had become the dean in uh, at wake forest and recruited me to become the uh, director of the comprehensive cancer center in uh, at wake forest as well as the chair of the department of cancer biology I remained there for seven years as the director of the comprehensive cancer center and was offered the position here at carmanos last summer and i came in on at the end of August of this year. Uh, you ask about challenges. I see that more as opportunities. I don't see any major challenges. I see plenty of opportunities. Um, Carmanos Cancer Institute has a long legacy of achievements and development of novel technology in the field of cancer. Um, In 2014, McLaren uh, acquired Carmanos and expanded the Carmanos footprint throughout Michigan, was now 16 sites from the uh, Upper Peninsula down to Ohio, and has created one of the largest network uh, in cancer care in the country, definitely the largest cancer research and uh, cancer care delivery uh, in the state of Michigan um it has also a very close association with wayne state university and this um, association has been very fruitful for both uh, wayne state as well as carmanos and uh, we're in the process of uh, further strengthening strengthening these ties and and collaboration in the future
0: wonderful yeah i'm I'm sure we'll get into some of these uh, other challenges or as you like to call them opportunities in, in the conversation, but you just mentioned how uh, your, your background, your extensive background as a physician, researcher, cancer treatment in, inventor. Uh, how do you think these roles all help you now in the position you're in as a, as a CEO?
1: Well, I think having led a comprehensive cancer center like Wake Forest twice through the renewal and more than doubling the uh, funding over the seven, eight years I was the director allows me to have a good strategy on how to expand and grow uh, carmanos cancer institute and we actually already have uh, recruited a major uh major clinical trialist um to become the phase one director at uh, carmanos this will be announced later this week but we are very actively recruiting prominent clinician as well as researcher Um, in order to further expand the impact of Carmanos on its catchment area, which is the the city of Detroit, as well as approximately half of the state when you start from southeastern Michigan up to the northern peninsula. In terms of um, uh, science, having been the chair of the Department of Cancer Biology at Wake Forest, allowed me also to recruit uh, scientists to reorganize science, and I think that's that's another asset I have in terms of experience, in terms of becoming the chair of the Department of Oncology, uh, which I chair also in addition to my my position at Carmanos. So I think all this experience is always good, it's also uh, having a large network of people that you have been working with, that you have recruited, some of them have become leaders at other institutions, so it helps to know the landscape well. Um, Being a clinician and being a researcher allows you to see really the bench-to-bedside evolution of uh, cancer care, which really has seen major uh, changes in the past decades, to mention a few, uh, checkpoint inhibitor, immunotherapy, CAR T cells, uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitor, multi-kinase inhibitors. So, there are a lot of things that have happened in cancer. From the time I did my fellowship at Sloan Kettering, for example, in the field of gastroenterology we had only one drug for colon cancer now we have eight different drugs in uh, 1997 when i was finishing my fellowship uh, some a patient with stage 4 colon cancer had a life expectancy of 11 months now it has more than tripled so we've seen really major uh, changes in the course of the the past few decades in terms of how cancer is diagnosed screened for and, and treated. So it's a very exciting time to be uh, in the field of of cancer I would say.
0: Yeah, of course and uh, yeah I'd love to get into more about uh, how your experience as a physician allows you to have a different perspective now in the role that you're in. Uh, but before I ask the, more about that I, I I know that Carmanos has a as a tripod organizational structure. How does that structure work exactly and what what are the benefits?
1: So, each cancer center in the country is a bit different. You have some cancer centers that are totally independent, and that would be um, Sloan Kettering, that would be MD Anderson, that would be City of Hope. It would be Fox Chase until a few years ago when they were acquired by Temple. Um, And it was Carmanos also until 2014, when it was acquired by McLaren. At that time, uh, Carmanos had a very close relationship with Wayne State, was embedded in Wayne State, and still is. So I think uh, coming in 2023, I see a tripod that is very solid with a uh, kind of semi-independent cancer center, which is Carmanos, that stems from its history, which has um, exceptional management in terms of cancer care through the McLaren organization and has outstanding uh, academic uh, umbrella uh, through Wayne State. So, I think these are major advantages. It's a structure that is not really common. Most cancer centers are either either, uh, what we call matrix cancer centers, so they are within the university and part of the university. That's the case of... uh, uh, for example Wake Forest that's the case of Duke and many other cancer center or they are totally independent as the, the other I mentioned but Carmanos is unique it's a it's a model that does not exist elsewhere in the country and has shown both its resilience and capability to grow um, as exemplified by the 16 sites that have grown over the
0: past uh, 9 years and many of the physicians at Carmanos are often the first to offer emerging treatments to their patients what is the organization's involvement in this cutting edge research mean for the patients of carmanos
1: so i think this is really a legacy that i'm extremely proud of carmanos has been one of the leading cancer center in terms of developing new drugs it has it has had it still has one of the largest phase one program in the country phase one being novel therapies that are tested first in patients and which sometimes result in breakthrough uh, novel therapies that really will change the game in terms of uh, cancer treatment. Carmano says a unique phase one program when you visit the hospital, it has a phase one floor where uh, phase one have been really run extremely well over the past few decades and allowed investigators, but especially patients, to have access to cutting-edge therapies that you will not find elsewhere. With a staff of clinicians, nurses, and nurses eight that have a very high level of experience on how to handle this phase one, uh, which means to uh, tackle potential side effects, to follow patients very closely. And what we know from multiple studies is that patient enroll in studies do better than patient receiving standard of care. So these two assets make uh, Carmanos an excellent choice for patient with cancer because they will have standard of care if there is nothing available. But if there is something available, they will have standard of care plus other options such as phase one or other clinical trials. So that's a major strength, I think, we'd say of, of Carmanos Cancer Institute.
0: And are there any kinds of research that you're involved in personally that? that have you seen any recent breakthroughs with?
1: Well, I certainly have seen breakthrough uh, through my life as an oncologist being involved in clinical trials. I would say it goes as far back as my days at Sloan Kettering where oxaliplatin was a drug being tested for the first time, inpatient with colon cancer. And um, I learned also from that oxaliplatin was a drug that did not work alone. And after a few mishaps, or I would say failure to show any benefit, it became one of the best drugs in uh, gastrointestinal tumors when combined with another drug, 5-FU and leucovorin. So, you learn that, you know, something that may theoretically work well may... S- in clinical practice, not work as well as one thought, but may work better in combination with other drugs. Uh, That was, for me, um, an an enlightenment to realize that uh, sometimes combination therapy uh, turns out to be much, much better than single drugs. Another example would be in pancreatic cancer, where very little progress was done for decades, until a French regimen that combined four well-known drugs called Folfirinox, turn around the uh, the paradigm and suddenly we saw patients with uh, responses. The tumor was shrinking and they were living almost twice as long as they were before. So, all these things are uh, kind of engraved in my mind as steps and progress that I remember of and which have become mainstay of, of care. And when you have been at institution that conducts these studies or develop these drugs, you, you learn and you are so appreciative of what it means for for cancer care. Uh, Most recently, I was involved in the development of a novel medical device, which just received FDA approval uh, three months ago, two months ago actually, and which we will bring to the market uh, first in Michigan throughout the Carmanos uh, Cancer Institute in the first quarter of 2024. So it's very exciting to be personally involved in the discovery of a novel approach to treat cancer and see the results with patients that live longer, Have very limited side effects and have another option in a disease which otherwise would not offer many options.
0: And I I want to kind of circle back to now that you're in a CEO role, you know, it's a very difficult time in healthcare to be leading any type of organization, whether it's a you know hospital or any provider organization. You had mentioned earlier you don't see too many challenges but opportunities right now, but uh, there are. Of course, you know, a lot of pain points CEOs are dealing with workforce, you know, I've talked to other CEOs. I think that's always the first thing that that seems to come up for everyone. Uh, What are some of the ways that you are attacking workforce challenges right now and what strategies uh, are you deploying?
1: So I think you have to look at both short term and long term. Short term, we are just coming out of the worst pandemic of this century. Uh, the worst pandemic in 100 years, and this has led to an exodus of healthcare workers, particularly in uh, inpatient, but also outpatient, in uh, research operations. So, I think I would take that as an abnormality. It was totally unexpected. It caught us by surprise, and many individuals that were working in healthcare uh, uh, decided to leave, take an early retirement. And um, we are now coming out of this um, acute emergency situation, where we see many people coming back to work or seeking additional uh, job in healthcare. Um, the issue of, you know, aging population, of better and better therapies, especially in cancer, longer survival means that we need more and more individuals uh, in healthcare. And uh, this is something that uh, you know every society tried to adapt to. Uh, I think the U.S. has done extremely well in adapting to that. But the, the shortage we discussed have led to major pressure on healthcare, especially with salary. For example, traveling nurses would make two or three times the salary of regular nurses. Uh, just because these salaries were available. And I remember at my prior, prior institution where the nurses that were quitting their job to take a, a, a traveling nurse salary and suddenly were making two or three times the, the amount they were making before. But that was very disruptive for hospital that had already very limited margin. So I think the the pressure in terms of salary has been quite enormous on healthcare system throughout the country. So, you're right to to point that out. But we do see a brightening uh, of the situation uh, because the pandemic is pretty much over. And we see people coming back to to healthcare with a less short-term approach, and the shortage of nurses and other healthcare workers still present, but less dramatic than it was uh, a little while ago. So, I would say I'm quite
0: optimistic about the evolution of the situation. Yeah, you mentioned the impact it's had on the nursing workforce. I think we're also seeing now the impact it's having on the physician workforce absolutely absolutely you're correct
1: and uh, especially in oncology it's uh, fairly dramatic because we have as i mentioned these better treatments and we are not uh, educating enough oncologists so there is a, a shortage of oncologists both in academia and in private practice that is nationwide and that doesn't look like gonna get better in in the near future so we have seen uh, models where uh, physician extenders nurse practitioner um are becoming more and more involved in the in the care of patients that's something that we had developed at Wake Forest and that I think most institutions are are becoming forced to develop uh, because we will not be able to provide care to everyone by a physician at every visit because we just don't have enough physician but if we do that in a well-structured model where nurse practitioner work closely with physician we will be able to accommodate this need in the future so i think a lot of a lot of adapting and uh, finding solution is needed for a situation that is evolving but for good reason we have patient are living longer uh, are treated with cancer we have more cancer survivor uh, in the united states today than we have ever had and it's continue it, it will continue to grow over the next decade or so so we have to be prepared to adapt to that i think also another way to solve this uh, quandary is to expand survivorship program. So, many patients, once they complete their treatment for cancer, may not need to be seen by an oncologist on, uh, in the future. A, they could very well be seen by primary care physician with uh, a certain diagram to follow in term of uh, tests to be done, CT scan to be con- and that will free up um, a certain amount of workload for, for oncologists that, should focus more on active treatment of patients. So, there are many ways the
0: the healthcare system can and should adapt to this shortage in the future. And as a physician turned CEO yourself, what are pieces of advice, three tips, you know, generally that you could give to other CEOs that, that maybe don't have that same background that you do that are, you know, trying to improve their physician relations and improve recruitment retention strategies?
1: So I would say as an oncologist, I would say patient comforts to make sure that patients uh, concern are addressed, their need for communication, their need to for access are concerned. Second, make sure healthcare workers are healthcare workers are happy. Create an environment where they feel valued, where their needs are are constantly reevaluated and addressed, because if you if you have them burnouts, uh, this is bad for everybody. It's first, bad for them, but it's bad for patients. It's bad for the overall morale. I think when you follow these two uh, light motives, uh, you will do well in healthcare and being having. Uh, your feet wet. So seeing patients, seeing the clinic is important to to get the pulse of the situation because this, the uh, especially during COVID and after COVID, things have changed. So what you thought was a, um, a a rule maybe five years ago is different today.
0: I think the first piece of advice you gave is is very important, not just because obviously it's, it's important to always have their best interest, but I think that's what doctors also want, physicians also want. And sometimes, you know, in the business of healthcare, that can sometimes get lost. So I think that that's something that aligns with every physician's mission and goal. Happy
1: you share this opinion.
0: (laughs) I do, I do. So And we talked a lot about uh, some of the challenges, workforce, especially that CEOs have been dealing with this year. As we look forward into 2024 now, uh, what are some of the challenges you you see coming on the horizon maybe that aren't fully here yet, but uh, you can start to see some of the signs of them them coming on?
1: I think, you know, uh, it would be... One would be blind if we did not realize we're in an election year 2024. And I think healthcare will be at the forefront. So there are different philosophies uh, in terms of healthcare, in terms of coverage, in terms of insurance. Obamacare is now uh, more than 15 years old. Uh, it's still there, but there are a lot of things that will probably be discussed during this uh, this election year. Price of drugs, accessibility. Um, insurance coverage. So I think it's a very important year um, to come in terms of he- the future of healthcare because we know that healthcare uh, eats up a very large uh, amount, a very large fraction of the national budget and for good reasons. Uh, but at the same time, I think uh, healthy discussions and vision on how we can optimize uh, care for uh, for an aging population, uh, this is something that is a, a reality for for the entire world. But I think in the U.S., where we have a very sophisticated system, uh, but at the same time also quite expensive drugs, uh, modes of delivery that vary from one one state to the other, uh, there is a lot of discussion. So I think it will be an important year for the future of healthcare. That's what I see as the looming. Uh, Ch- potential changes it's it's healthcare discussion and where will uh, congress the new president, uh the
0: take us in the
1: next uh in the next four years
0: how, how much of that can you plan for now is is that something you can you can kind of see coming some obviously some of the uh the regulatory climate you can forecast a little bit but how much of that is is something someone in your position right now can can really plan for
1: I think very little. First of all, I'm not a politician. So, uh, although I meet frequently politicians and have great respect for them, uh, I would not consider myself politically savvy in terms of uh, national policies. Um, On the other hand, it's quite interesting to see uh, the dedication of Congress and Senate to to cancer care is genuine. Uh, Many many of uh, the politicians are themselves cancer survivors. There has been a consensus for spending at the national cancer institute but that does not prevent changes that sometimes can be quite dramatic and i think one of them is what we call the 340b program which has been a a program to uh, subsidize cancer therapy for um, for population that have a certain percentage of underserved or underinsured patient that has played a major role in the Um, affordability of cancer care for population that are poor, or that would not otherwise have access to cancer care. And just in the past 10 years, 340B was removed for a period of a year and a half to two years, if my memory is correct, and then brought back. So, it, it gives you an example of where uh, political changes can have a major impact on, on healthcare because some hospital uh, would really go under without this program because they would not have the population that would support, uh, you know, a, a would would allow them to to continue to this this care with especially very expensive cancer drugs. So I think it's a one one example that show you how tenuous this balance is. In terms of healthcare, depending on sometimes political decisions, so that that's the one that comes
0: to my mind uh, presently. I think we're all kind of interested to see where healthcare goes and and how, as you said, I think you hit it on the head, how this election and and some of the political climate influences things going forward. But great, it, it's been a wonderful discussion, Dr. Pasha. Again, I really appreciate your time, and yeah, we'll we'll be interested to see how we enter 2024 and and going forward.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for the great question. I enjoyed very much speaking with you.
0: And thank you to Walters Kluwer for sponsoring this episode and to you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday with more healthcare industry insights.